If you'll turn to James 3, we're going to finish uh, what we started two weeks ago in James 3 when we, when we talked about how powerful our words are. And then last week, I, I hope that last week was um, helpful. Last week we kind of took an excursion and just looked at kind of the state of affairs and, and uh, how do we respond to what we see in and around us and the things that are going on in America. And we, we, we looked at first and foremost that we need to attack our own sin before we attack other people's sin. We talked about being as aggressive toward our own sin as we are towards the sin of others. We, we talked about the fact that, uh, that we don't look uh, to the government for all of our guidance and that. We're submissive to the government, but when ultimately we are submissive to this Word of God. And, and we talked about not, not expecting non-believers to act like believers. I, I didn't share this verse, and it was one of those where, you know, uh, there's so many to choose from, and it came to me after, and I thought, man, that would have been a good one to, to challenge them, to challenge our people with. But it's in, um, in uh, Paul says in, uh, in Romans 8, talking about non-believers and, and believers and, and obedience to the Word, and, and, and listen to what Paul says. Here, just real quickly before we jump into James, he says, For the mind set on the flesh is, is death. That would be a non-believer. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Listen to what he says. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Paul says, For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot... Please God. That's Romans 8, 7. We have to be careful to expect non-believers to do what believers can do only by the Spirit of God. I am who I am through the grace of God. I live how I live because God lives in me. It's not my flesh. The, my flesh produces that which I don't want to do, and the Spirit of God produces that which in me that I want to do. And so we looked at that, and so today I want to go back to James 3 and try to finish through verses 12. And as we said this week, our students at, at camp were also looking at James 3. And, and I want to share a little bit about that, that today, what went on um, in the context of, of, of James 3 here, and, and hopefully begin a dialogue, open up a kind of a dialogue for you to uh, have some conversation starters with your son and our daughter. And then next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll take Lord's Supper. And, and I want to... Uh, I want to recreate a, pic, a small portion of what we did on Thursday night here so that we can see the power of, what, of how God spoke to our kids. And, and it was a very... Um, I think if your kids are honest, if you could have been there that night, you would have been very proud of your sons and daughters you probably would have been uh, convicted as a mom or a dad uh, in a good way. Um, just tying in with the power of the tongue that we saw last week, two weeks ago. And this is part of what we'll do next week, Lord willing. They, they had 12, there were 12, about 1,200, some 1,100, 1,200 kids and. They had divided the, the, we were all in the auditorium and they divided us up in thirds and they had three stations and one station they had on these big pieces of wood, big 
pieces of, of uh, plywood, I guess it was. In one word, they asked the kids to write, to describe God in one word. Just in one word, describe God. They had about seven of those boards. and Then in another station you went to, there was a, a walkway, and on the side of the walkway were strings. There were poles, and there was string just from each pole to each pole. And they gave you a, an index card and a paper clip, and they said, write down a trial that you're going through or that you have gone through and clip it to that piece, clip it to that rope. And the third station, and this, is, this was... This was the tough one. And it said, it had boards, and there were some boards that said, words that destroy. And then there were boards over here that said, words that uh, restore. And so we went through that, and then, you know, every kid went through there and wrote a word that had been spoken to them that destroyed, and a word that had restored. And and we went through that, but the crazy thing was, is after you did it, they walked you back through so that you could read the words. And, and I was doing okay. I, I promise, I was doing okay. I was strong. I was being strong. And, you know, it was an emotional night. And I, I'm standing there just looking at what some of these kids had written. And I was looking at on the words that destroy. And right under the T in destroy... A girl had written, you're a worthless daughter. And right next to that, a little boy had written, you're a worthless son. And what stood out to me, the power of words, what stood out to me on those was the word that probably more than any that jumped out on that page on words that destroy was the word ugly. And conversely on words that restore you saw the word beautiful. And, and what, what I told the kids that night was I think what was most convicting to me is as I read those words that destroy, I've probably said most of what... It, I, I've not called Sarah a worthless daughter. Don't hear me saying that. That's by the grace of God. She's not a worthless daughter. But many of the words that were on that words that destroy, those words had come out of my mouth. At some point in my life, I had said a lot of what I saw on those words that destroy. And next week, Lord willing, I, it was just a powerful picture to look at the impact and words. And just to hear that night, the, the conviction that fell upon our students regarding their words to their siblings, to their fellow classmates. What James is saying here in chapter 3 is exactly what that visual helped our students to see is that there is no member of the, of the physical body that has a comparable power and a comparable range of influence to cause good and to cause harm than the tongue. Th these are middle school and high school students. The, the, when I walked up that row, the scary thing was when I walked up the row of trials and I looked to my right and left, the trial that I saw more than anything was the, the, the trial that many of these students said they were battling was suicide. The word suicide was written on those cards as, many as, as much as any other trial. And I thought about it. I wonder how many of those cards that said suicide were attached to the same piece of paper, the same board that said words that destroy. 
And imagine growing up, then you thought you were a worthless daughter. Being told time and time again that you're worthless, that you're, you're ugly, that you're no good. Words have a tremendous power to either do good or to destroy. There, there, is, there is no member of our physical body that has comparable power as the tongue. And what James says here, that's exactly what he says. He says, let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing as such will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths so they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? Verse 6, and this is where we're starting today. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. That's what we saw Thursday night with, these, with this illustration. And it's set on fire by hell. The tongue itself is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and of birds and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What I want us to see here in verses 6 through 8, continuing last week when we talked about the power of the tongue, verses 6 through 8 tell us that our words have the ability to shape and to direct our entire lives. I read a quote from a, a sports writer of the Atlanta Journal. His name is Morgan Blake. He wrote this, I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and I seldom forgive. And my name is Gossip. Words. I would bet that every single person in here can think of words that have been spoken to them that were hurtful, that were destructive, that, that, that have stuck with you the rest of your life, that have maybe changed the course of your life. You know, it's a great saying, sticks and stones may break my bones and words will never hurt me. It's great for parents to share that to their kids to kind of absolve us for having to you know, deal with some things and just say grow up and all that. The reality is, is that is a false, that is a lie. I, I bear scars from broken bones and I, I broke my forearm and both bones in your forearm in high school, two plates, 13 screws. That thing healed long ago. But I still bear the wounds and the scars and the markings of words 
that were spoken to me. And, and the tongue, though it is small, is very, very destructive. The reality is, is that we all bear wounds from words spoken to us. The danger of the tongue is that we bear wounds that have spoken to us that we're probably not even cognitively aware of. We're, we're not even, we don't even realize the damage that words have been done to us and how they've changed the course of our life. That, that's, how, that's how subtle, that's how destructive the tongue is. Doctors have long shown that many, many ways that we act and lash out have to do with words that were spoken to us that the person who is doing it has no idea. They can't trace it back, but there are words there, and as they start talking, they, they, they bring their actions back to a word that was spoken to them. The, the, the challenge of our words is this, that they can destroy but in the same horror and the same depth that they can destroy, they can also restore. And that's what I want us to, to see next week. The same power to destroy somebody from the tongue, the same power is there to restore and to build up. I, I'm, a, I'm a words guy. I, I'm a, I am a words guy. A kind word will, a good word will set me, I'll sail for a long time on a good word. That's wind in my sail for a long time. A, a, a bad word, speaking negatively, I mean, I just, my elevator goes to ground zero immediately. Immediately. And, and Karen will tell you that. She, she's very good about it, but others, I, I just, I, I, it's just destructive. That's just the way I am. And what James says here is the challenge is that the effects of the tongue are not just isolated to one part of our body. He says the tongue affects our entire lives. The tongue defiles our whole body. Look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. No, no other part of our body has such far-reaching potential for good and bad as the tongue. And here's the danger. Here's the real danger and the uniqueness of the tongue and, and the vastness for evil and for good. The, the tongue is a self-contained generator. Here's what I mean by that. To commit, the tongue can sin in and of itself. All, all of the circumstances that are needed in order for me to sin or to do good with the tongue are always there. You see what I'm saying? There, there are certain sins that I need certain circumstances to come about and to be there in order for me to commit that sin. I, I need things to be in place. I need for things to happen. I've got to orchestrate certain things to go in such a way and then I can act on that sin. The, the dangerousness... And, and, and the, 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 the goodness, but also the dangerousness of the tongue is that everything that I need to sin or to do good with the tongue is always there. At any moment, at the drop of a hat, at, the, at, a, at, a, at a moment's notice, I can sin with my tongue. I can destroy you and I can build you up. And, and I'm sure all of our lives have seen that. Something to come out of our mouth just like that. And you're like, where in the world did that come from? We'll tell you where it came from in just a minute. It just came out. You didn't plan it. 
You didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to orchestrate it. You didn't have to do anything. Boom, it was there. That, that's the dangerousness of the tongue. I can say anything I want to say at any moment, at any time. It's always there. And we've seen it in our marriages. We've seen marriages destroyed by, by, or built up by words. We've seen churches, businesses, countries, words. And what James is saying is that our words defile us, and they defile all of us. Every part of Chris Basham can be defiled and destroyed by words. Every single part of our lives can be crushed by words. It's not just like... It's not just that we're bad with our finances and, hey, just don't. He's a good guy. He's just bad with money. Or he's a good guy. He's just bad over here. No, no. Your words defile all of you, every part of you. It's like smoke from a fire. You, you're, you may, you're fi a fire may break out in your house in this area of the home and you put it out, but the smoke damage goes all over the home and the rest of the home suffers smoke damage. I... I remember when I was a kid, um, some of you argue that I'm still a kid, and those who were on student camp, what happened on student camp stays at student camp. But um, the, the kids were gracious, and they gave us Frisbees, the leaders Frisbees, and wrote kind words on it. And one, somebody wrote on my, one of the words written on my Frisbee was old teenager. I'm like, okay, I think that's a compliment. I, I remember when growing up, I used to go to, my dad was uh, with some of his coworkers. My dad was in a bowling league, and every Thursday night, he, he would pick me up. We would go to Taco Bell. I would get two soft Taco Supremes and a cinnamon swirl and a Coke. We would eat dinner at Taco Bell, and then I would go, he would go bowl with his buddies, and, and they would let me keep score. This is back in the day where, how many people like bowling? Y'all like bowling? All right, the rest of y'all should try it. Um, this was back in the day where they had that light shining up from that table, and you had the clear sheet with the frames on it and the pencil, and you had to actually do math. I mean, you had to work. And, and they would let me go and keep score. One of the highlights of my week was going, hanging out with my dad. And then the other highlight was, was if somebody didn't show up, I would get to bowl. There are a lot of people that had a lot of prayers against them in those years that they would not show up. I was hoping that somebody would not show up. But it, this was a long time ago. And, and, and stick with the illustration and don't look too much into what I'm saying here. But back in the day, before smoking was regulated, you know where I'm going. You walked into a bowling alley, guess what you walked out like? You smelled. You smelled like smoke. I, I mean, you just walk into the place and it was like, this was back in the day, it was thick. You get about 30 lanes of bowlers. I think my dad was the only one there that wasn't smoking or drinking. Probably not the best place to take a young kid, but my dad did every Thursday. And, you know, I turned out all right. It was good daddy and son time. But, but the point is, is that when we left, guess what? That smoke had defiled us, every part of us. Every Thursday night, we would come home, and my mom, we knew, and we had a screen porch that connected the garage and the main house. My mom was like, y'all better take your clothes off out there. Don't come in this house with those clothes on. Why? Because the smell of smoke, it would get over everything. That, that's what James is trying to say with the words is our words, they don't just, they, they're not just contained to one little section of our life. They defile all of us. And, and not only that, he, James says that the, though the tongue is the smallest part of our body, it has the ability to shape 
and to direct our reality. It, it shapes and directs our reality. That's what he says. It sets on fire the course of our life, he says there in verse 6. He, here's what I mean by that. When you think of yourself, your self-image, when you think of yourself and your self-image, what has shaped it the most? Words. Words. When you think about yourself, when you describe yourself, what, what, what are you going to use to describe yourself? Words. What has had the biggest impact on the way that you think about yourself, good or bad? Words that have been spoken to you. The, these kids, that, the, these kids, when they thought about what, are the, what word has destroyed you, they wrote the word ugly. Ugly. You know how they walk around feeling every day, every moment of their life, what changes the every... They think they're ugly. And you know what happens? You think that about yourself long enough, guess how you begin to act as an ugly person? And you begin living up to that which has been declared over you. The, the, the destructive words begin to shape their reality. They see themselves as ugly. Conversely, on the other side, the, the, the words that restored, when you, when you, when you live there, I, I remember... The, the, again, the word was beautiful. Think about, think about it. If you grew up and your dad, especially, and this was a reality to me, guys who have daughters, I have a daughter, and, and, and praise God, by the grace of God, I do this every night. When I tuck her into bed, I tell her, Daddy is grateful that you're my daughter and you're beautiful. I, I want my daughter to understand the word of God declares beauty in a different way that the world declares you to be beauty. The word of God declares this, the world declares this, I want her to understand that she's beautiful. And not just because daddy says she's beautiful. Because de there are characteristics that the word of God has declared over her that she's beautiful. But, but those realities, those words change the course of our reality. They, they defile our whole body. They set the course of our entire life. And to, with far-reaching effects. And all of y'all going to small groups today because it's raining, especially those who have to walk out in the rain to get to their small group. Anyway, that's my ADD kicking in. I can't... Uh, here's what this boils down for us, and here's what I want us to realize. And again, this, this is where it becomes so convicting about words. The dangerousness of words. There's a whole, there's a whole set of sins. There's a lot of sins out there that lose their power and lose their stronghold on our lives as we grow older. There's a mixed crowd in here, and I'm not going into that, but, but you don't see a lot of 90-year-olds robbing banks. You don't see a lot of, a lot of you know, Ponzi schemes and all these different pyramids being, being done by 70, 80, 90-year-olds. They're usually done by young guys who, wanna, who have bought into the world system. You know, some of our sexual-oriented sins, they begin to lose their grip and draw an attraction as you grow older. You're not, what I'm saying is you're not tempted as you get older in the same way and with the same strength that you were when you were young, generally speaking. And, and again, maybe it's your sex drive, maybe it's the drive to conquer, to overcome, to, to build enormous wealth, to make a name for yourself. As you get older... 
you get wiser, and, and yet some of that, that wanes. It, it eventually diminishes. And yet the danger of the tongue, what James says, the, 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 the power of the tongue is that it never goes away. The danger that is within the capacity of my tongue never fades. It never goes away. Other, these other things may fade, they may die down, but what James is saying is they never go away. He says it is a, it is a restless evil. Verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Other sins through wisdom, through, through experience, through learning, through maturity, you, you, by God's grace you get a hold of them. He's saying, look, the power and the danger to defile and to sin with the tongue never goes away. The, the irony is, is, and he says that in the form of an irony, he says, look, we can tame all these animals. You've been to the circus. We can tame all these huge animals, and yet we can't tame this little tongue. It, it is a restless evil. Some of us have seen that in our, in, in, like my grandparents, as they got older and, and, and they were not able to um, you know, mask their speech. You know, us the younger ones, sometimes we think things, but we're, we have the ability not to say it, sometimes. As, our, as my grandparents got older, they, said, they, they lost that ability. But here's the problem. It, it wasn't, it wasn't the, 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 what they were revealing was that what's underneath the surface had always been there. They were simply disclosing what was there. They were disclosing the power of the tongue, the sinfulness of the tongue. It all, it's always there. They would say things, and you're like, what in the world is that coming from? They couldn't disguise their heart. They couldn't disguise what they were thinking. They just they said it. My point is it never goes away. And, and that is why James is so concerned here. That is why we have to be concerned, because... The, the danger of the tongue never goes away and it defiles our entire bodies. But not only that, verses 10 through 12 say that, and here's the point, that words, why that happens, why it never goes away, why do sometimes we see that in older people who can't control what they say as well? Because our words are an overflow of our heart. Our words are an overflow of our heart. When you go to the doctor, think about it this way. When you go to the doctor or when you take your kids to the doctor, what is one of the first things when you finally make it into the room and the doctor finally comes, they, like, they trick you. They take you into the room and they set you down. You think, man, that was quick. No, 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 it'll be an hour still before that doctor comes and sees you. But when he finally comes, he or she finally comes in that room, they ask you some questions. What's usually the first thing that that doctor will do? They say, stick out your tongue, and they do what? They take your temperature. And where do they take your kid's temperature? Under the tongue. James is essentially doing the same thing here in verses 10 through 12. He's saying, you want to know your spiritual temperature? You want to know your spiritual maturity? You, you want to know whether you're hot or cold to the things of the Lord? You want, you want to really get assessment of your health? Check out your tongue. Stick out your tongue. What, what's flowing, what's flowing from out of your tongue? That's, that's what James is getting at. The, the, the deadliest and most prolific dangers lie within the tongue, and ultimately the tongue is simply revealing where the real problem is, and it's your heart. It's our heart. 
My tongue, your tongue, is simply revealing what's in our hearts. It's simply revealing what's down in the well. And that's what James is saying. He says, with our tongues we bless... He says, verse 9, "...with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be." What he's saying there is when you, when you curse, uh, when you speak negatively, when you use your words to destroy another person, guess who you're ultimately cursing and destroying? God. It's like this. You have, many of you have children. If I speak against your children, do you take it personally or not? Yes, you take it personally. When we speak against God's children, do you think He takes it personally? He created them. When we say they're ugly, guess who designed them? God designed them. Guess who we're saying created them ugly? We're saying God is a bad maker. When we say they're stupid, guess who created them? God created them. Guess who we're ultimately accusing of wrongdoing? We're accusing the Lord of doing that. That's why James is saying, we bless and curse God. We don't realize that we're doing that, but we're cursing God. We're speaking negatively against God. Man was God's pinnacle creation. Up until that point, everything was good. And then he finally, then he says, when he saw man, he said it was what? Very good. Genesis 131-7 talks about we're to be image bearers. We're to be representatives. When, when we use our words negatively towards people, we are actually insulting God whose image they bear. Understand that. We're, we're attacking God. When we injure and when we dishonor men with our words, we are sinning against the image of God. As a creator, we're sinning against Him. I, I hope we see the weight of our words. You can say, here's the reality, here's the reality. You can say whatever you want to say about Chris Basham. Here's why I say that, because it's probably true. You're not going to say anything about me that's probably not true. The reality is, is what you know about me is probably only the tip of the iceberg of what you, what you think you know about me, good and bad. But whatever negative you know or think about me, be encouraged. It's probably only the tip of the iceberg. Je Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And whatever you, whatever you, you can say whatever you want knowing it's true. And here's the problem. Those what you say about me, the problem lies in this, that it's contrary of what God has declared over me because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You see, in spite of all this junk, in spite of all this sin that is in Chris Basham, God sent His Son to die on the cross, to, be, to, to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected three days later. By grace, I believed in, I believe, have believed, will believe in that. I look to that. Because my faith is in that, because I identify that I am a wretched sinner who deserved death, I look to Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and I say, hey, I acknowledge that He did that on my behalf. He did that in my place. Now I am in Christ. 
The Bible says, because of that, because of faith in him, I am now in Christ. I am, a, I am his brother, the Bible says. And, and as a, that, makes, that is what makes me a Christian, identifying that I'm a sinner, repenting of that sin, and looking to Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as, as the substitution, as being in my place. And because of faith in Christ, I have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That makes me a Christian. That makes me a brother to Christ. It makes me an adopted son of the one true King, of the one true Lord. And when I say things that are contrary to that, when I speak to people, especially believers, who, who, and say things contrary to that, I am contradicting what God has declared over me and them. And, and that's what he's saying. That ought not to be so. We're blessing and cursing God at the same time. God has shown sacrificial mercy to me and over me, in spite of me, and you as well. And we ought to do the same. God has loved me in spite of me, and he's loved you in spite of you. We ought to do that to each other the same. God has claimed me when no one else wanted me or no one else would, and we ought to do the same. God blesses through the gospel, and you know what we do? We curse. God chooses men and women and brings them into his family, and you know what we do? We curse. God gives grace, and you know what we do? We destroy. And, and he's saying that makes no sense. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am a son, I am chosen, I am redeemed, I'm forgiven, I have an inheritance, I've been given a name above names, I have a future, I have a hope, I have a strength, I have a comfort. My sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. Will never be held against me. All of that through Christ has been declared over me. Why and you as a believer, why would my words say any other different? If God has declared that, and no one knows Chris Basham and his sinfulness more than God, and yet he declares that over me, why would we not do the same? Why would we not seek to do the same? And I hope we see the weight of our sin when we don't do the same. And, and, and James is saying, brothers, in verse 10, this ought not to be so. He's recalling, as we said early on, James gets almost all of this letter from the Beatitudes, Matthew, 7, Matthew 5 through 7. And in Matthew seven sixteen, listen to what Jesus said. Beware the false prophets who come in you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them. This is how you can tell them apart. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Guess what the fruit is? It's our words. It's our confession about who Jesus Christ is. Who do you say that God is? And in the same way, James is saying, you'll know a person's heart by their words. And Jesus didn't tolerate it. And, and he's saying, James is saying, I'm not going to tolerate it. And, and, and what was, as I said, when I looked at that, at that, that board that talked about words that destroy... I thought, about, I thought about this lesson, and I thought about Matthew 12, 33 through 37. L listen, listen to what Matthew says here. 
in Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you, listen to this, this is what's convicting to me. This is, what, this is what, why I wept over that paper, or that wood. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Every single careless word that Chris Basham has spoken, every single careless word that you have spoken, you're going to give an accounting for. And, and, and I, I have seen the way that a hiding God's word in your heart, maturing in Christ, I have seen the way that changes your speech. When I was in middle school, and when I was in high school, whatever, again, what, in early years in high school, I became a Christian by God's grace in the 10th grade. I, I can remember whatever came into my mind, I was not profane, I didn't curse, wasn't vulgar, but if it could be said to make somebody laugh, I would say it. There were self-esteem issues, there still are self-esteem issues that I battle with, confidence issues, but if I could get people to laugh, I would think they would like me. And, and, and I had no ability to, to not, I mean, I just would say whatever came to my mind, it would, it, whatever it was. I, I remember when I was, in, I was in band, I played the trumpet, and, and the first chair player, her name was Lindsay, I can still put myself in this position. The, she was struggling with her part, and the band teacher said, you know what, Lindsay, that's okay, it's not really that hard of a part, you know, You'll get it. It's a really hard part. And I just said, it ain't that hard. And he's like, really? He said, can you play it? And I played it. And his, I just would, that's the kind of thing, I would just, I just crushed her with my words. I just, it's not that hard. Instead of just sitting there quiet saying, no, it is hard. You just have to go play it. No, it ain't that hard. Because to get a laugh. If I can remember on the, the band trips and all that, whatever. It, it, it just, at times would just tear people down because it would get a laugh. True or not true. And, and in many ways, that, that's where I've seen God do a, a work in me of just trying to be cognizant of my words, trying to be careful. I'm not perfect about it. And, and the struggle I have is that there are people, when I looked at that board, I wondered how many people today would write words on that board that I spoke to them. Maybe it was me who said something to them in middle school that still sticks with them. Maybe it was me who said something to them, maybe my early, and even as a believer, maybe I'm not perfect by, by any stretch of the imagination. God has done a, a great work there because of hiding God's word in my heart. But how many people have been personally wounded by my words? And on the flip side, though, the, the good side is this. How many people have been personally built up by your words? What will my son and daughter put on that board because their father and their mother say to them regularly? 
What if other people, would they write on that board because of what I have said to them? There is huge, there is huge power in the Word. And what we've got to realize, good or bad, is that the words are simply a reflection of our heart. In Luke 6, 45, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, for his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The mouth is simply speaking out of the heart. The heart, what is down in the heart, in our hearts, comes out through our mouths. That's the picture. And James makes it very clear that it's everyone's problem. Does the fountain send out of the same opening both fresh and bitter water? That's what he's saying. Our mouth is the fountain. Is fresh water coming out of your mouth or is bitter water coming out of your mouth? Are you producing olives? Or are you producing thorns through your words? And Jesus, this same thing is recorded in Matthew 15, it's recorded in Mark 7, and in Luke. All the Gospels, they all record it. Words are revealing to our heart. It's a heart problem. You know, we can disguise, we can pretend. You can look at Psalm, Psalm 55, 21, and, and, and the psalmist speaks to this real quickly. Psalm 55, 21, he says, His speech was smoother than butter... But his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. We can pretend for a while, but eventually our words are going to tell on ourselves. And just to see the power of the tongue in a spirit of, of vulnerability, how many of you in this room have purposefully tried to wound somebody with your words? Purposefully. You said it. You knew it was going to hurt them, and you said it anyway. Couldn't wait to say it. Yeah, we all struggle. But not only that, how many of you have spoken words unintentionally that have hurt people? We're all guilty. Intentionally or unintentionally. The problem is our heart. No, nothing is more telling on our heart than the tongue. And that's what, that's what James is getting at. It's the heart. That's why it's of great concern. He mentions the tongue in every chapter of this letter. He talks about the tongue. And, and back to the doctor illustration, just to give us an idea. You see on your hand out there of what our words disclose. A swearing tongue, you battle with language. A, a swearing tongue discloses a profane heart. Impure stories... Nasty, dirty jokes, you see that in, in Ephesians 5, disclose a filthy heart. Maybe your struggle is murmuring or gossiping or things like that. That oftentimes is disclosing a thankless heart. Criticize, criticism, tearing people down, a jealous heart. Lying, they say that discloses a desperate heart. Look, take an inventory of your words. What, what might God in His grace be revealing to you about your heart? And it, it always boils, it boils down to the heart. In, in Ephesians 5, and he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What he's saying there is, what goes into you ends up controlling you. You, you, you consume a lot of alcohol, that alcohol begins to control you. What begins to act through you is the alcohol, not you. 
But interestingly enough, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3.16 is the parallel verse here. And he says, let the word of God richly dwell within you. How does the Spirit control you? By hiding God's word in you. The psalmist speaks of that. Your word have I hid in your heart. What happens? That you won't sin against God. That's why we preach the word, teach the word. Because the more I fill up my bucket with the word of God and hide God's word in my heart, guess what comes out of the bucket? The word of God. And it's interesting, in Ephesians 5, immediately after he talks about being filled with the Spirit, he says this, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know where the first thing affected by being filled with the Spirit is? Your speech. We'll talk to each other differently. And James is saying every single one of us struggle. Every single one of us can think back to words that have destroyed people and words that have restored people. And what he's saying is, check your heart. And as I close, our words have the power of life and the power of death. And I'm going to ask you, what are people getting from your words? More often than not, are they getting life from your words? Or more often than not, are they getting death from your words? What reality are you creating in those around you? Are you building them up? To, to spur them on and put wind in their sails to, to go better and beyond where they are? Or are you, are you sucking all the wind out of their sails? What, what reality? What reality are you creating through your words? What might your words, as you, we do a self-diagnosis, what might your words be revealing about your heart? What, what heart conditions might there be deep down that your words are telling on? I mean, think about this. I thought about this. And, and I challenged our students. Chris and I challenged our students with this. What if we as a body here at Odessa, saved believers, agreed and committed to that to the best of our ability, we would not say anything that we did not know was 100% true? That we would not say anything that did not build somebody up? That we would not, as Ephesians 4 talks about, that no unwholesome word would proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that was good for the moment, that was edifying. Th think about the atmosphere that would exist in your home. Think about the atmosphere that would exist in this church. Think about the atmosphere that would exist in the student ministry, in the children's ministry, at your workplace, if that's what we did, if that's what we committed to. But it's going to start from hiding God's word in our hearts. What if when we heard somebody start to say something that even fringed on gossip, what if we graciously and gracefully tried to stop it rather than encouraging it? And what if we as a people would receive that in a loving way and not a judgmental way? By faith, we would just say, you know what? Whether they meant it good or not, it's good that they shut me down and I'm going to walk away from that. What if? What if we said we're going to stop masking gossip through veiled prayer requests. We've all, we've all been there. It, it's, it, it is a restless evil. If you're thinking of words right now that you wish could have been taken back, have you sought repentance of, for them? Have you, if, if possible, have you gone to the person and asked them to forgive you? Have you asked God to forgive you? Romans 12, 18 says, So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It might be your words that are, that are preventing the peace. 
Have you sought repentance? Have you done everything you can to make it right? That which you've destroyed with, maybe? I, I pray that we will do self-evaluation, that we'll, we'll take an inventory of our words, that we'll be honest about what our words might be revealing about us. But that we would, like we talked about last year, that we would do an onslaught on our words. If they're not, if the problem is the heart, go after the heart. Fill up with God's word. There's all kinds of reasons why our heart, maybe it's what you're listening to, maybe it's what you're watching, maybe it's who you're hanging around, maybe it's what you're, what you're doing, maybe it's some things you're not doing. I share, I'll close with this. A cup of pure water, listen to me, a cup of pure water will not spill unpure water no matter how it is jostled. You fill up a cup with pure water and you pour it out no matter what. Look, the problem is not we'd had a bad sleep. The problem is not I had a bad day. No, the problem is my heart. The problem is that there's dirty water in the cup and when that cup is shaken and jostled and startled, guess what comes out? Impure water. Why? Because it's filled with impure water. It's not the bad day. It's not the bad night's sleep. Those things just take away our ability to mask what's really going on in our hearts. A cup of, a cup of pure water filled up with God. I'm not saying we'll be perfect, but more often than not, when we're full of God's Word and things happen, guess what comes out of us? God's Word. Because that's what's filled us. And that's controlling us. And I pray that I would start... I would lead out by being that pastor, but that we would follow and be that people. Constantly hiding God's word in our heart. That when we speak, our speech would be seasoned with God's word. When, we, when we're talking to people, it would, God's word would just flow out. 